Welcome to episode 44 of the Life and Mission podcast, where you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and practical help to launch, build, or grow your business, nonprofit, or ministry. I'm Kay Helm, and my guest today is Ronnie Rock. One of the biggest obstacles we face is in our own minds, the stories we tell about ourselves and others, what we can and can't do, what we should or shouldn't do or be. And that's why I love Ronnie, because she is not only a wonderful storyteller, she is a truth teller. So we desperately need the truth. Her new book is just out, One Woman Can Change the World, Reclaiming Your God-Designed Influence and Impact Right Where You Are. Here's our conversation. Hey, Ronnie, it's so good to have you back. I'm good, and it's just, I love your voice. So it's just good to hear your voice. It is is really great to sit and chat with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. We talked a long time before we ever turned on the, the record button, but <laughs> good to catch up. Ronnie, you have written a book, but tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay. And then a little about the, the book, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I am. I am Ronnie Rock, and that is a legitimate name. Ronnie is a nickname for Veronica, but I've had it since eighth grade, and it's not going anywhere. I am a woman. I am a friend. I'm a sister. I am an orphan. Both my parents have passed. I'm an orphan, a wife, and a mom, and a Gigi, and a safe lap for Pearl, the rescue pup. And I'm just a Gosh, I'm just a big old bag of feelings most of the time. If you're an Enneagram person, I'm a four wing three. If you're a Myers-Briggs person, I'm an ENFJ that just switched to J from P. So now I've got feelings about that too. And, And I work for a global nonprofit named Orphan Outreach. We focus on care for orphan and vulnerable children in eight countries around the world. And a lot of the women that you'll meet in the book, I had the opportunity to meet through my work with Mm -hmm. Orphan Outreach. Uh, It wasn't an intentional meeting or I thought that the, the book would come from my meeting those women, but they have taught me so much. And I'm honored that a portion of the proceeds from the sale of the book will go back to support the ministries of Orphan Outreach. In fact, a little bit of money has already been provided to Auntie, who is one of the people that you'll meet in the book who lives in the Himalayas. The book itself is called One Woman Can Change the World, Reclaiming Your God-Designed Influence and Impact Right Where You Are, which may sound like it's going to be a really great self-help book Mm -hmm. for you to be a real tough woman, But it is anything but that. It is not a book about tips and tricks to help you be a really strong leader. What it really is is an amazing group of women from around the world who are gentle leaders. They're very grace-filled leaders who focus on who they are and how they were designed from the very beginning and how God designed women from the very beginning to be leaders. If you look in Genesis 1, God didn't say he created man and man was going to be the leader. And then here comes Eve. Genesis 1 says that he created them. 
man and women. And he looked at humanity and said, wow, this is good. And so, and then he said, okay, I want you to lead. I've given you, I have created this universe for you. And, you know, God is, he's not an idiot. He knew exactly what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Even as he formed the heavens and the earth and the way he designed it and the stages in which he designed it to get it all ready for human life to be able to live and thrive on it. And then he said, I want you to take the lead now. I'm here. I want to walk with you. We are going to have great conversations. You are my own and, and we are in this together and I want you to lead. And so that's what you're going to read in the book. It is not, like I said, not a help, self-help book, not a bootstrapping book. It is a reminder and hopefully a conversation starter mm-hmm. between you and the Lord of who you are and his design in you and your identity in him. And then your entire story and how it has worked together, all how it has worked together to glorify him and to do good on this earth. Yeah, it's beautiful. I I've been reading it and and just you know, you take us on a on a journey and you just you allow us to meet these incredible women who are you, you know they're just they're living life. They they're they're taking what's been uh put before them. They've made decisions. I mean, it's just amazing. It's and it's reminded me too of of women that I've met around the world and in, in the work that I do. But I think, you know, we've talked some on this podcast about purpose and calling mm-hmm. and, you know, what is it that God is, has called me to do? And in one of the earlier episodes, we had looked at Oz Guinness's book, The Call. Mm. And he says, you know, there is no calling without a caller. Yeah. And you talk about the Lord talking to these, speaking to us, and how often we see it kind of as a, well, if he's calling me to this one thing, you know, then he's asking me to give up this mm-hmm. other thing. Mm-hmm. But you say he's the God of the ampersand. He is. I will, I will say if you, if you came into my office, the first thing that you would notice is I do have actual literal ampersands everywhere. It is my favorite symbol. And I don't want that thing that looks like an E with a line through it. I want the curly, super wavy, full out ampersands. They're on my wall. They're on my desk. I have a pillow. I just think they're beautiful. And I love because the thing that I love about an ampersand, it's not just the shape. I think it is a glorious punctuation. I just really beautiful. But what makes an ampersand so glorious as far as its place in our language is that it means and in itself and if you were to look it means and per se and so you get ampersand but it's and in itself and so what it really says is it is going to connect two things but it's not going to diminish the value of either thing So if this was the Ronnie ampersand K show, Mm -hmm. right, 
then it would mean that it's fully Ronnie is here and fully Kay is here and both of their personalities and their gifts and their talents are here. But that ampersand brings them together, unifies them and makes them stronger, right? Together, but it doesn't diminish. And so when I look at God as, as he really is the God of the ampersand, is that he takes our story, right? It may be the story of our childhood, the story of a difficult time, the story of a glorious moment, the story of our time if we, when we get married or when kids enter the picture or it could be any of those things. And sometimes we have a feeling, it's like, I want to be in ministry, but first I need to have a career. I want to do something unique for the Lord. I've got an idea even of what it might look like, but first I have to raise the kids and send them off to school and let them get married. And then once all of that part of my life is done, then I can focus on ministry. Mm-hmm. In God, in fact, in the story or in the chapters, you're going to meet someone who actually felt that agony and really felt as if the Lord was t- saying, I have this new glorious thing for you. And that means that today it's over. Everything that has brought you joy from a ministry standpoint to this day, now give it up. It's over. You got a new thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there are times that the Lord does when he says, I've got a new thing. He really does lay something brand new in your lap. But that still doesn't mean that what has happened in your past all of a sudden diminishes and has no value. Mm -hmm. I really believe that an ampersand is inclusive, right? It's not exclusive. It's inclusive. And if you look at God's story over and over time, if you look at stories in scripture, Mm -hmm. those stories are inclusive. They, God adds to a, a person's life. He doesn't say, okay, you know, Paul even, a new name, everything. Still, the, his past, his understanding of who he was mm-hmm. as a leader, who he was even as someone who hated Christianity, he still used that information. He was still a tent maker. He still used that vocation. And he used those because God didn't say, give it all up, not ever going to do it again. He used those things in ministry. Those, uh, when Jesus called fishermen, he didn't say, you're never going to pick up a pole again. Right. Right. In fact, you find out that's the first thing they went back to. It was. was They're like, well, I know how to fish. I guess I'll fish. And Jesus never said, okay, you're you're never going to pick up a pole again. Matthew, I know you were a tax collector, but you're never, ever going to count a coin again. He just said, no. Your story wrapped around gospel purpose mm-hmm. and wrapped around a beautiful redemptive destination becomes this incredible sentence filled with ampersands. Yeah, you know, I was thinking actually about this earlier this week about the disciples and God, you know, Jesus calls them from fishing and he uses fishing terms. Mm-hmm. To bring them into the new thing, fishing. I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. Yeah, 
And I, I think that's, it was something, I, I marked it as something to go back to and study more because I really feel like it's more than, he wasn't just using the language that they understood. Mm-hmm. It was more than that. He was, he, they were always fishermen and they were always going to be fishermen. Mm-hmm. But now they were fishermen who had encountered Jesus. Yeah. And it's that's so, often, so of. often we look at our stories and we'll say, well, the only way I could do something, the only way I could really do ministry or whatever, is that every part about my life, we have a tendency to look and say, well, if that's a glorious future, then everything here stinks, mm. right? Instead of saying, oh, wait, God is going to use what's happening right now. He has gifted me even with a past that may not be a beautiful, what I consider a beautiful past. Mm-hmm. He is a God who makes all things new. He is a God who redeems. Mm-hmm. In the book, I talk about Joel 2.25, which a lot of us will use a lot when we talk about that God he makes things new and he heals and things, but he will take years that have been ravaged. He will take years where it feels like it had been wasteful years. And he will show that those years were not wasted at all. Right. Right. He will bring life to those to equip you. And I'm not talking also about, Oh yeah, you're supposed to literally go out and change the world. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. But few of us are ever going to be on a platform large enough to have a global voice, right? right? It's what is it less than 2% of the global population actually is known by many, many people. Right. That's not the purpose of this at all. It is that we live in a world mm-hmm. right around us. And that world might be our home, our neighborhood, our church, our community, our city, a people group inside our um, inside our community, mm-hmm. a neglected group, a hurting human being. Right. That is the world that God places in front of us and says, okay, Genesis 1, don't you remember? I called you very good. You're the apple of my eye. I've equipped you. Mm-hmm. I've equipped you. I just need you to trust me. Yep on this just need you to trust me on this and so but again our culture uh, and kate you and i both because we work uh, in other global populations there is a lot there's a lot different between the culture that we live in the u.s and the culture uh, in a developing country right. and it's not just about socioeconomics it is also about how time is viewed. Yeah. I remember, Kate, you talked about we are a, we are a time-based culture. Right. One of the things you taught me, we're a time-based culture. We thrive on filling a calendar and bragging about a bullet journal and showing how productive we are by how much we can accomplish in a day. Mm-hmm. And God is not, he is not asking us to accomplish Things he says he accomplished things he accomplishes things through us. That means that we need to trust him to actually do that. Instead of us thinking, oh, the only way a change is going to be made in my life or anybody else's life is it better be big, different than anybody else. Because oh my gosh, if 
if I feel like, well, you know, I, I love to teach, but there are a million teachers. Mm-hmm. So what kind of difference can I make? Or, well, I, I'm a marketer, me personally. And I go, yeah, anybody can market. What I've just told God is, you know what? I'm worthless. And pretty much everybody else that you designed with that gift is worthless too. Because we're not doing something that is so unique or so different that that will make us big. Right. And, and I make that confession in one of the first chapters of my book. It's like, I wanted to do ministry, but more than I wanted to do ministry, I really wanted to be significant. Yeah, we do. We do that. Yeah. That's an, we. It's, <laughs> it's. Yeah, I wanted to be significant. I wanted to be able to put my head on the pillow and go, dang, girl, you did fine. And yeah. the whole time the Lord's like, I, that's my job, just to tell you that you are fine. That's not your job to try to convince yourself that, you, that you're fine. So we're already significant because mm-hmm. he created us mm-hmm. and, and he has a purpose for us. Not not just like the the that sounds almost limiting, you know. In this mm-hmm. this conversation, a purpose for us, a and purpose is a really big word. It is, and then we try to limit it, right? Yeah. Well, his purpose for me must be this one thing, mm-hmm. instead of no, his purpose for me is to is to love him, walk with him, and then watch how he reveals gifts and talents and opportunities and things throughout the days in a number of ways and to be actually pleasantly surprised (laughs) by how creative he is. He's a creative piece. Um, A pastor a long time ago said that we are creative creations created by a creative creator. And it is a cheese ball alliteration, but dang, it's good. Right. Yeah. Do I actually believe that though? Do I believe that I am a creative creation? That when he designed me, he designed me fully with his, he said image and likeness. And it wasn't just that I can look in the mirror and go, hmm, I guess God has freckles in the summertime. Wasn't that at all, (laughs) right? He created us with the image and the likeness Mm -hmm. of the gifts that are manifest when he lives through us. He gave us personality that because he has personality, gave us emotion because he has emotion. Those things are not flawed in us, how we respond to them. And yes, I'm not discounting sin nature because trust me, it's alive and well in this broken soul. Um, It's very easy for me to go dark pretty quickly and get pretty selfish and, and get pretty whiny. But in the midst of that, he still looks at us and sees us dressed in white as a bride Mm -hmm. who is beautiful and has an incredible personality and has gifts and talents to be made manifest wherever she walks. Yes. Yes. We've heard a lot, especially women in the church, about the Proverbs 31 woman. Mm -hmm. And in you, in this book, you, you refer back to her, but you're also showing us living fleshed out Proverbs 31 women that may not look exactly like Mm -hmm. what we pictured. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Well, for the, and, and I came, 
I came into a passionate love of Jesus. I was a latecomer. It was the day after my 21st birthday. But one of the, I mean, I'm one of the first things I'm told is like, oh, Proverbs 31 woman. And it is, it is stated as this ideal of who we are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And we don't, of course, we don't give anybody the whole chapter. We only use about the last 11, uh-huh. you know, the 11 verses, yeah. like, what is a woman? And then you start reading it and it's like, okay, so a Proverbs 31 woman, in order to be a true Proverbs 31 woman, this woman after God's own heart, this woman, everybody's going to hold up and in the marketplace, they're going to go, Ooh, and it's going to say that she is finer than all the gemstones in the world. Let's see. Okay. Proverbs 31 woman. She got, okay. She's going to be, she got, she has to get up early. Ooh. That's a tough one right there. Okay. She needs to be married. Mm-hmm. She has to have kids. She has to have her own business. She clearly must make her own goods to sell in her own store. So she's not just buying stuff, but she's also probably turning her own butter and then negotiating a deal at whatever specialty shop she wants to be in. She has to be brilliant financially. She has to be fearless in the marketplace. And so you look at all those things and you're like, okay, so she is smart, always put together, house is immaculate, married with kids. No, I have failed before I've started. And half the women, maybe more than half of the women who are in the book are single. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are women in the book who don't have kids. There are women in the book who don't have husbands. There are women in the book who have never turned butter. There are women in the book who have never gotten a college education. Some of them have not even made it all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. So if we were to set Proverbs 31 as a checklist of what idealism is for a woman after God's own heart, well, first of all, we would all fail. True. We would all fail. But it was never, it was never supposed to be that way. If you read Proverbs 31 from the beginning to the end, you find out, first of all, it was written by a dude. Okay. And it was written by a dude because he says, This is what my mom taught me. And it is a book about leadership. It isn't a book about, okay, Lemuel, I really this is the only woman for you. And dad and I are just not going to approve until you find her. Right. It was not, it is a book about leadership mm-hmm. that then it transitions and you realize that the Proverbs 31 woman is not this checklist. It is, it is these character qualities there you go. of their character qualities. And in that you're like, Oh my gosh. It's okay. So she tends to the things that are in front of her. She, okay. She wakes up early. The reason why she wakes up early is because she wants to prepare herself for the day. So she, she gives time to the Lord. She gives time to, to set the day. And, and you know what? She is creative, but she's creative, not because she's going to have her own business. Maybe she doesn't want her own business. She's creative because she's receiving from the Lord. Mm-hmm. She has a voice. 
Yes. And she's not, and she's not afraid to use her voice. She's not afraid to negotiate. She's not afraid to defend people, to stand for people. When it's appropriate, she is willing to nurture and care for people that are her circle could be family, could be friends, could be coworkers, could be strangers, but she looks at people and is willing to provide care and to nurture. And so you, you look at, you look at her with the qualities that she presents instead of this tightly defined checklist that says, Oh, well, unless you're married, you're just a little off. Oh, no kids. Well, yeah. And then we exclude ourselves. Right. Or, oh, you don't own your own business. You, you don't have a cottage industry. Oh, right. And so we discount and we disqualify ourselves time and time again, because we use that. We use her as a point of comparison, Mm -hmm. which is sin, right? That, there is, I have a friend, Rochelle Aparin, has written a great book called Mythical Me. She talks about healthy comparison, mm-hmm. right? Of I once was here and now I'm here. I've, um, you know, I'm in school. I'm learning. I've learned more, setting markers, seeing where you've gone. And then the unhealthy comparison where our identities, we start to place value on our own identity based not on who God says we are, but through the lens of others around us. Right. In Proverbs 31, that woman was never supposed to be a comparison point for us. Never. Right. right. You can be a, a, you can be an example without being somebody that, you know, is just held up as the ideal, the, yeah. perfect, the perfect unattainable. Yeah. We'll always have people that are good examples for us that, that fire up in us a desire to grow in things. If somebody is, if what is being fired up in us though is self-condemnation or condescension or those things, that's when we just got to take it. And the Lord says, you know, that that's vain imagination woman, take it captive, put it in its rightful place, be reminded of who you are and who you've always been. Yeah, it's good. You you you've ri- you've written in the book too that the trouble with women is us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it stemming from all that comparison that we do? Is that really it? It is. We get in our way. Wow. We really get in our own way. We, I would say it's social. I'd say social media because I do believe that social media has tremendous opportunity for good, but then it also has done a lot to harm us through ideals of influencers and, um, and lifestyles and journeys. It's very easy for us to look at a tiny box with a pretty picture and a few words and say that person's life is cooler, more significant. She doesn't, or she doesn't know what life's really like. She's never gone through pain, right? So we mm-hmm. we have those barbs. But long before that, there media has always there's magazines, there's catalogs. Um, being a person in marketing and advertising, I can tell you all about glamour, the whole ideal 
of luxury advertising, right? That says you're not quite good enough unless you have this car. Mm -hmm. You are not caring for your family enough unless you have this kind of home or those things. So that comparison has always been there, but it was no, it was there. There, Adam and Eve walking in Eden in God's presence. Can we talk about this? He's walking with them, like literally walking, holding hands, talking about the day. And what happens? They hear a whisper, a quiet whisper that says, I bet, I bet there's a whole lot more out there. Mm. You know, sure seems he wants to have a tight rein on you guys, keeping you in the garden. Wonder, so right? So it is. And so we still, we still have those things of like, well, I wonder what my life would be like if my life was like theirs. I wonder, you know, and so we have a tendency, then we start to lay just layers and layers and layers of self-condemnation. Mm-hmm of that we we claim our lives worthless mm-hmm. we claim our talents worthless we say again it's the well unless i'm doing something that is significantly different or unless i'm doing something that is impacting thousands or millions my life just doesn't really count for anything yeah. you give us some great examples in the book, you introduce us to all these women. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the women in your book? Oh, well, if I do, if I start crying. Yeah. Where do I start with the women? I'll start with Lourdes and Teresa. Because they were the women that wrecked me first. And Mm. you meet them in the introduction of the book. You get to, and and then they make an appearance at the end too, which is great. But when I, I, as I said, I do marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I had been in the corporate world. I had decided to take the leap to ministry because I wanted to do something more significant uh-huh. with my marketing. I wanted to bring all my corporate expertise and help ministries. So I moved over to work for a nonprofit and Part of what we got to do is to do mission trips, which I still do. And that's, again, I've met a lot of women on mission trips and then other forms of travel. But it was my first mission trip and I was going to lead it. It was great. I went through training. I got like five stars in training because I was really, really good at all the things. All right. Because being an achieve high achiever, I, I just wanted to be perfect. And so I had everything down. I was ready to go. I had my team. I was writing beautiful flowery things. It sounded, I was really trying to sound a lot like Ann Voskamp. I wanted to be real poetic. So you would be drawn to my words. We get to Guatemala. We go to this uh, children's home Mm -hmm. that had, that the organization had never had anybody go to before. We get there it is beautiful. It's on the side of a mountain. Um, it felt really much like Middle Earth, <laughs> Lord of the Rings, just uh-huh. the environment. We get there. We have our bandanas and we have our games and we have everything planned and we are so organized. 
and we bring so much stuff in duffels. And that's, and that's what I call it in the book stuff, stuff. Yeah. We had stuff. We had all the stuff in duffels that we thought that, oh, it's going to sound so bad that we thought that poor people needed. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Well, clearly we're going to this third world country and they just don't have much. So we stuffed stuff in duffels to come and make sure that they had everything they needed. And we went and we taught the kids and got to the end of the, and then we were amazed at how fast the kids were learning. We were just so proud of ourselves, pat ourselves on the back. And these whole time, these two women, these sisters who had come with their dad from Mexico to start a ministry. Mm-hmm. And it was not originally going to be a children's home, but, but things changed when they got there and they realized that there was a need. So dad had passed away. It was the two sisters still running mm-hmm. this place and they were so quiet and I would look at them and they'd have like the concerned look on their face standing in a corner. I thought, Oh my gosh, they hate us. Oh. They don't try. They, if they just knew, if they just knew how great we were, they'd be okay. And so we get to the end of that first day and I walked up to them so proudly. I'm like, Hey, we're leaving. We're going to go to our comfy hotel. <laughs> And is there anything that you need? And I don't know why I asked that question. I don't even, couldn't even begin to tell you what I thought they were going to say. If they were going to go like, mm, yeah, a steak sounds yummy. Yeah. I don't know. But they looked at me really quietly and told me they had no milk. No and milk. yeah, and the floor fell out from underneath me because we had brought up duffels of stuff that they did not need. Right. Everything that we brought to them, they did not. We brought brads. Do you remember those little metal things? That you, yeah. And pipe cleaners. We brought yeah. the most random stuff and a whole lot of lice shampoo because we had been told, well, you know, it's a third world country and all those kids' hair is going to be filled with lice. Those kids were clean. They, uh, that, so like I said, just... We were way late. I went into the bus where the team was. We bawled like babies. We pulled our money together and we got them what they needed. And they first, the first thing they taught me was that I could come with my big self-made plans, right? And my assumptions of what I thought was wrong Mm -hmm. in somebody else's life. And so then my preconceived solutions of how I was going to fix that life. And they stripped that from me in one day and taught me that the only way I'm really going to understand anybody's story is, is to ask and then to listen mm-hmm. and to be with them for a little bit and then to find out what their real needs were, both physical, if there was a physical need, but then also what were the felt needs that they had? What were things that they, I couldn't have told you what it felt like to be two women in a country that was not your own running a ministry that your dad started. I, I didn't know, but man, I was going to come and save the day because I wanted to be significant. So then over time, what they taught me was, and one was a doctor and one was a teacher and they left those professions. So it wasn't, they were uneducated women. Mm -hmm. They chose to step into, and they continued to use those skills and that expertise in this children's home. Yes. But they, they taught me about this God of the ampersand, right? They taught me 
about a God who is bigger than all of the great plans that I may have. And they taught me to, um, to take a breath and to appreciate what was around me. At their children's home, they have these, this flooring that honestly looks like beautiful, intricate mosaic. Mm-hmm. And we were so impressed by it. And then they said, yeah, we just got the scraps that nobody else wanted, the broken pieces, because we couldn't afford beautiful things, but we could afford pieces of things. Mm-hmm. And so they took the mosaic and then themselves turned it into artwork, into this unique design. And I thought, how many times have I looked at something and when it's not boxed up and in a bright, shiny bow, I think, oh, it's just pieces. Nothing good could come of that. Right. That's a waste. How much time are you going to have to take to figure that one out? And they, so they started this journey with me of like, oh my gosh, I don't look around enough. Mm-hmm. I need to look around. There might be pieces that I'm missing, beautiful pieces yeah. that I have ignored because they weren't bright, shiny, boxed up, beautiful. And then they have this faith mm-hmm. that was unlike any faith that I had ever seen before. That was like, you know what? We're going to, God will provide. He will take care of us. It's okay. When the time, at the right time, when some, somebody will come at the right time, a conversation will happen at the right time. In me, I was the go-getter, like, I'm going to initiate it. I'm going to get it all done, right? Instead, yeah. of, instead of, oh, wait, I, how many times have I probably blown past a beautiful moment? Because I was so, I was just hell bent on getting to the per, what I thought was the perfect thing mm-hmm. or the the clever thing. How many times have I tried to take a problem and solve it with three steps? Yeah. When the Lord was saying, you know what? It's just you just step with me. Just follow in my step. And that's really all that's the steps you need. It doesn't mean that you can't be smart. We, he wants us to use our brains. He wants us to be creative. Mm-hmm. But I really thought everything had to be solved quickly. That it's going to be buttoned up, solved, done. You check off, well, there's that humanitarian problem. Done. Oh. I've moved on. And they... They had a faith that I hungered for. Yes. They had a relationship with the Lord, and I love Jesus. And they had this relationship with the Lord that I was like, wow. They make me hungry for more of Yes. Him. Yes, that happens a lot when we get kind of beyond our world here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there's Lourdes yeah. and Teresa in Guatemala. There is, there's Lisa, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm-hmm. who has an incredible ministry to teen moms and their babies. And awesome. her story started by being a teen mom and then realizing that everybody cheered for her to not have an abortion. Mm-hmm. And they all told her she did the right thing by choosing life. But then she had to walk the road of what choosing life meant. And she felt really all alone. Yes. 
So it wasn't that as a child, she said, you know what, when I grow up, I'm going to be, I'm going to minister to teen moms. It was, I'm in crisis. I remember what it was like. I'm still walking the road. I remember that pain. Mm -hmm. And because I know what that pain feels like, I'm going to reach out to somebody else that might be walking that road. And it wasn't that she started it thinking that she was going to have a huge ministry started with, hi, I'm here and I'm willing to talk because I know what it feels like. Yeah. And we overlook those simple starts. Mm -hmm. Like you said, one step at a time. Yeah. Following him. Well, we, the, the Lord says, don't despise the day of small things. Right. And we, but we want big, we think unless it is a big thing, then it's not a big, it's, it's not a good thing. It has to be big, has to be bright, bold, super colorful. Gonna, I'm gonna have a big launch and blow the roof off. The, and I will tell you, every single one of the women in this book will remind you that it starts with a nudge and it starts with right where you are, that you take one step mm-hmm. and you take the next step. You take the next step. And those steps may happen just one right after the other. It might be step and pause. Yes. And pause and dwell and sit and tend. And then a step. There's Lucy, Mm -hmm. who she was a nun. Yes. She was a nun, wanted to be a nun. That was her life. Like she, her. Brother was a priest, sister, I'm like, that was just the thing that you did. Right. She was going to be a nun. And so when she felt all of a sudden at 14 years down the road of sisterhood, she felt this, I need you to step away now. I just think I need you to step away. Not from, not from faith or anything like that. But you've been faithful and stuff, but I, I have, I have something. Come here, come here. <laughs> And she said, she literally says, like, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm so sorry. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, no, I thought, you know, you called me to this. You can't change yeah, it. I'm supposed to be in this ministry <laughs> right. and it has to look like this or right. else it's not ministry. And so her story I don't want to spoil it for folks. It is a, it's an incredible story. And it also shows that God doesn't waste a thing. He did not take her from 14 years of sisterhood and burn it. It is. Oh my gosh. And he didn't change his mind. Mm -mm. He just brought her to the next steps, which she could see because we, you know, we have this such a finite view yeah. Of everything. And yet he's outside of all that. Yeah. He was like, oh, he goes, oh, you're still a sister. We're still married. I just need you to move from the convent right now. Yeah, and yeah. again, her story is, is phenomenal. There's, oh, there's Elizabeth who lives in Kenya. And she, oh, talk about a joy bringer. She's great. She's another one. And she's one that thought that she had a million. She had a huge plan. Mm. a huge plan thinking she knew exactly what God wanted her to do as a social worker and a counselor. And he turned that idea on its head, but is still using every idea that she came up with 
in her big plan, but uh-huh. using them in a fresh way. Wow. There's so creative. Uh, there's so many good, they're just oh. beautiful people. Y'all just going to have to get this book and read about all this. <laughs> you do. And then what I hope to do, because folks are like, well, now what are you going to write another book? I'm like, I don't know. You know what? I'm of an age. I, I don't know if I'll write another book, but I tell you what I want to do is I want to keep sharing stories. Yeah. Because Kay, as you share, right? You read and it sparks in your mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've never looked at that person in that light before. Right. But I know somebody. Uh-huh. I know somebody who embraces God's design like that. And I just want to share those stories to continue to remind us all that we really are his delight. Mm-hmm. We are, we are shaped physically and emotionally and spiritually in a way yeah. that is, that, that is a delight to him. He did not, there was, there was a social media meme that has gone or been floating around about the past week. And it's like, you're, you don't annoy me. I love God. And I'm like, <laughs> It's not like he created us and then went, well, that was garbage. What else can I do? Right? He didn't. He still, and that is in the midst of us, rejecting him, telling him we've got better ideas, telling, you know, I'll call you when I'm in big trouble, (laughs) or all the things that we do that indicate um, our lack of belief. Right. Right? We want to believe, but... But then we reveal the areas that we're still struggling to believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. <laughs> right. right. Best prayer so, in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, like I said, that's what I hope. I want to be able to, um, that's what I really hope this book does. I hope it starts conversations with mm-hmm. us in the Lord and with us and others. I hope it opens eyes to help us see how gloriously we really are designed by the father. He did not make a mistake. We are not the exception. We're not an ulceran. Women were not an afterthought. Mm -hmm. Women were not a, well, I don't know. Somebody needs to pick up the trash. I'll just make, (laughs) I'll make a trash picker upper. We were designed from the beginning to be glorious. And we were designed from the beginning, man and woman, to really harmonize well, yeah. As in, in in just beautiful leadership of the space that we are given, mm-hmm. and this time that we are given. Yeah, that's good. I just as we wrap up, I want to ask you a little bit about. I, I had asked some of my friends. You know, I told them I was going to talk to you, and I, all they had was the the title of the book. You know, and I asked for, so, so the, the big question was, what are the most useful tools or stories you use to inspire those who you teach? <laughs> you know what, tools and tips, again, if, if I was teaching you how to have a really successful meeting, uh-huh. I would have some great tips and tools. And I, at one point, worked for General Electric when I worked for NBC and the mm-hmm. television network. And I can do a purpose process payoff and have a meeting start and finish in 20 minutes. I can get all those things down and teach you today how to do that. But when it comes to relationships Mm -hmm. and the long road walking with other people and the suffering together, Mm 
right? That compassion right. brings. I'm probably not going to have a lot of great three-step tips. Mm-hmm. But what I am going to tell you is what I have come to understand time and time again when it comes to caring for other people. First of all, we care the most when we close our own mouths and listen first to what the true needs are, even if it takes a while for that person to express their needs. Um, Henry Nowen talked about, and I will completely mess up his, his quote, but about what true friendship looks looks like and how suffering together with somebody. Mm. And it is being quiet when they want to be quiet. It is talking when they want to talk. It is basically truly being empathetic to stepping into their lives instead of it being, okay, fine. I'm going to bring you into my life for a little bit. We've got 30 minutes. It is saying, no, I'm going to step into your life and I want to understand your life more. And so it is, it is taking time. I've also seen it's probably the best tool that any of us ever have, if you want to call it a tool, to talking about what true transformation looks like mm-hmm. in a life is um, we can sit and I love scripture, but I will also tell you that there are times that we use scripture as a quick fix, right? Instead of having the hard conversation. If somebody is in pain let me spout a plat. I'll spout a psalm to you just to be like, here, this is what you know what God says. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, you know what? It stinks right now what you're going through and I don't fully understand it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm willing to listen and I want to walk the road with you. And then we're both going to pray together about it and see what God tells us together as we're walking this road. But this is what I do know. And I can say with confidence I can tell you about what God has done in my life mm-hmm. and the transformation that he's made in my life in certain areas, knowing that that is covered by the power of Jesus Christ. And so, and if you look, that's Revelations 12, 11. Mm-hmm. My testimony, testimony of our lips, mm-hmm. of the transformation that's in our lives. I can't, I can't tell you how to fix your life altogether, but I can sure show you what God's done in mine. And I have confidence that Christ was, is, and is to come, the Redeemer. Mm -hmm. And that will help overcome time and time again. Now, when it comes to stories that I share, Uh you're going to find out most of the stories that I share, just personal stories about my life. It's not like, well, let me tell you. I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this. What I have seen is that God is so gracious to speak to us in a variety of ways, yes. in small interactions with other folks. I use, and what you'll find in the book, is that I talk a lot about what God has taught me about through history or what he's taught me through nature and things that, that sometimes when you're trying to share and help somebody, Taking it out of a personal story, I guess, taking it from, well, you know, yes, I had to flee a bad man. And this is what I did. I did these three steps and it was all done. What I can also, though, when the big story is, is to encourage someone to walk the hard road toward healing. Mm-hmm. I could, I don't know. For me, I might talk to you about two volcanoes in Guatemala. 
one that has is furious and just destructive, and then the other one that's dormant. But the fire of the one actually fertilizes the soil of the other. Mm-hmm. And so the best coffee is yeah. on this dormant volcano that's standing next to this really nasty, vile yeah. volcano that has destroyed lives and homes and futures. And that reminds me, it's like, okay, no matter how bad it gets, there's a redemptive destination. Right. 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 So. And I actually took, I highlighted a part from that chapter where you talk about those two volcanoes. And I had a friend who needed some encouragement. And I, I might not have been allowed to do this because it was a pre-release copy, but I snapped yeah. a picture of this paragraph at the end of that chapter. And I sent it to her. Contra- contraband care is, is still good care. It is. No, I bet I'm, I'm honored that that story there are several stories and i just love i love how god again he speaks to us through scripture but he confirms all and he confirms his truth in a sunrise in the quiet of the sunset in seasons in the behavior of a baby (laughs) he he just has so many he's such an excellent teacher and reminder of his grace and mercy and kindness and fact that he does teach us he he says that he is not gonna he's not gonna let us down he is right. he says he's the author and the perfecter he is gonna finish what he started yeah he is really gonna finish what he started in us and so it goes back to that if i really see myself as designed by him as a as a beautiful reflection of his character mm-hmm. and his grace and his mercy. And I know that he is not going to ever leave me or forsake me. Right. Then that gives me confidence when the times are not great. Cause he also promises in scripture that there's going to be suffering, that it's not going to be easy. And I would give anything to, if I was an editor right now, a development editor, uh-huh. like in a novel, I'd be so stripping those things out of scripture and saying, I'm sorry, they just, um, they don't advance the narrative. They just need to be stripped out. We're just going to have a single narrative, but they're, um, there. they're there, which to me and what I pray that this book and just our lives in your podcast, Kay, are just reminders that he he designed us with purpose. He designed us for purpose. He designed us on purpose. It was not an accident. Right. His purpose is far bigger and far more imaginative than we could ever lay claim to. And just to, to, to hold on to those things, to reclaim, say reclaim them because they were there. They've been there since the beginning. I think we have, we've sacrificed so many because we, we don't believe that he might actually love us that much. And that's some truth right there. Right. Hard truth. We don't want to admit that, but we find it because it just kind of ekes out. Yeah. In those moments. Yeah. And I'm still learning. I am no expert, man. I'm no expert. And I have lived to this book probably 15 times during the writing of it. And now the launching of it, like, Oh man, there it is again. 
<laughs> that's okay though. At least I recognize I'm like, okay, God, that's right. I'm holding on, holding on now because we've been through this before. I've felt this before. And you've been here before. You're here. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be exciting to see what he does with this this book because I know you have I we it's been 2 years since we talked on this podcast. I mean, that was well 2 years ago I had just did I just we talked about it a teeny teeny tiny bit. It was kind of like a mention that you were working on a book. Yeah. Tears. I had just because at that point it was like, oh my gosh, it's a real book. It's not yeah. it's not just the my original idea, which was I'm just gonna share these great stories about these women and I'm gonna try to raise a little money with it. Mm-hmm. And yay. But it was the idea that it was actually gonna end up being a book of transformation mm-hmm. two years ago. I don't know if I still believing it. I was just walking the road of realizing that, oh, wow, there, there just really might be something here. Yeah. And it's been a vulnerable journey and it's, and so it shall remain, <laughs> but it's okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord's like, come on, take that, bring your vulnerability to me. It's fine, girl. I got you. Yes, he does. He, he's yeah. That. Yeah. I, Tell us how we can find you on the on all the internet things, all the interwebs. Well, maybe not all of them, but it, you know all the all the places because you you it's you write wonderful words words of encouragement and truth that are just always a nice sweetener for my Facebook feed. You know, you were kind. You know, I just I have told people I am addicted to hope. I because God's hope does not disappoint. Right. Hope does not disappoint. And I really, I see, when I see the future in a person or whatever, I always see a redemptive destination. And and for the longest time, I tried to hide that because it felt, I don't know, kind of felt, in some ways I thought, oh gosh, that sounds like Pollyanna, but it's not. It is not the, it's not effortless, effervescent, yay, it's all going to be good guys mm-hmm. stuff. It is this gritty hope that goes to war. Yeah. Right. That isn't afraid to get messy. Cause that's how God is. Right. He is not afraid to get in the trenches with us. So. Well, that's so, faith. Yeah. When, when the Bible describes faith, it's substance. Mm-hmm. So if you were, you know, if you look up faith and you try to like, if you do an image search for faith, you're going to get pictures of churches and angels and clouds. What you should really get is a rock. Mm-hmm. It's true. Big boulder. It's got grit on it. Right. Oh. So if I, it's Ronnie rock pretty much everywhere. And that is R O N N E even though autocorrect will misspell it. It's okay. And again, short for Veronica and Ronnie the, with the, you know, I is just, just to be different, I guess, <laughs> but it's RonnieRock.com. Also on Instagram, I'm Ronnie Rock on Facebook, just slightly different. It's Ronnie Rock Writes. And that's my mm-hmm. author page. 
And then if someone wants to buy the book, One Woman Can Change the World, the easiest way to do it. You can find it anywhere books are sold. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can go to onewomancanchangetheworld.com. Mm-hmm. And the links are all there. Everything is there for you to make it easy. But yeah, it's available. People all can right. buy it and, and, and it will be released <laughs> yes. into the into the homes of of kind souls everywhere. So. Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. And I'll have those links in the show notes for for everybody who's driving. They can come back later and <laughs> pick up. Yes. Do notes. not use your phone right now. That's right. To uh, <laughs> to make a purchase. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Ronnie, it's always such a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, this was so good. I wish we lived close to each other just so we could hang out and have coffee all the time. Yes, that would be awesome. I'll be right over. Good. (laughs) Come on. Oh my gosh. So good. So enjoy talking to Ronnie. As always, show notes and the links are at lifeandmission.com. Thanks for listening. This has been the Life and Mission Podcast. Find your voice. Tell your story change the world. Hey, it's Kay here. There's one big truth about fundraising that people do not tell you when you start out. And that is, if you struggle to tell stories, you will struggle to raise funds. But what kinds of stories do you tell? How do you tell them? Where do you find them? How do you put them together? And how do you do all that while you're running your ministry, while you're doing all the work and all the things that you have to do? It does not have to be overwhelming. This is my good news. And also, I want you to hear this. Fundraising is not just about asking for money. Raising funds for your mission does not have to feel icky. Fundraising is really about relationships. It's about sharing stories with friends. And it's about being very clear about what it takes to accomplish great things together. I created the Mission Writers course to help you tell better stories, to know what stories to tell, when to tell them, how to tell them, where to find your stories. So go over to missionwriters.org. That's missionwriters, like you're writing. Missionwriters.org has all the details on the course and on the group coaching program. So you have two options. And if you love a missionary or a nonprofit leader who needs this course, gift certificates are available. So check it out at missionwriters.org and let's make 2024 your best year ever.